right, we got the full crew here this time. So we just uh, every single time that we do like uh, I feel like a like a Catholic based episode, we just start adding one more guy each time. So every time, we're, we're yeah, we're continuing with that trend now. So we have uh, we have Andrew, who's the the most famous Telegram. Uh, I don't know if preacher would be the right word, but Catholic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every single time I go into like a gun or like your telegram that I'm like already in because there's like a whole network of just all the same people. Um, I just see you like typing up novels and it's uh, it's very inspiring. <laughs> it's always uh, well typed, you know, just yeah. properly littered. Yeah, full MLA format and everything. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putting my gifts to use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got you got all the keys on the keyboard. You might as well use all of them. Right. <laughs> yeah, I hope my uh, I hope my audio isn't too terrible. I, I told them like a whole story earlier, but to shorten it, I'm just sitting in my garage on a personal hotspot with AirPods because uh, my Wi-Fi is not working in my house properly. So, Good. it's a travesty. So that's that's actually why because um, last week I did another homesteading episode with uh, Graham Nolan, and um, I haven't been able to upload it yet because I can't actually like download the file onto my computer to like you know, edit it and everything and then upload it. So I might just throw up like a raw thing tomorrow while I'm at work or something. I really don't know. But yeah, so we got we got the whole the whole Catholic crew here with. Uh, Andrew, Nutria, and Marauder, and then uh, myself, obviously. So we also are not going into this with any sort of goal or itinerary. So somebody who has something on their mind can speak first. All right. Well, that's the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we were talking about uh, we were talking about going from why. Uh, having spirituality in general is is not just like we can we could say like why spirituality is obviously true and why why it's bad to have an agnostic or atheistic viewpoint on life, but why why it's beneficial as well for to have personally, and then we're gonna go from there to the Christian specific and then the Catholic specific from there. So um, yeah, it's like maybe to start it off, I was thinking like. You know, uh, I, th- I think now in this day and age, um, it's kind of gone full circle where we had in the uh, like the early aughts and the teens of the 21st century where the new age atheists were coming in. And like uh, it, it seemed like a bigger threat to Christianity, at least on like a debate sp- spectrum. Right. And so we're on all the spectrums. But uh but like as far as debates go, there was like uh, I think William Lane Craig was really the only guy that I saw consistently um, defending Christianity in general very well. But uh, uh, we can look back now on it now that it's gone full circle. I, I think personally that like the cringe view to have nowadays is atheism or at the very least agnosticism. Um, and. I think personally that atheism has been thoroughly debunked and and pretty much uh, you have to uh, live as if there is a God in in the modern era because like so many so many people just like 
politics is based on virtue signaling, just the the idea of virtue, uh, some form of of righteous morality exists in everybody's mind as a collective in general. Um, I, I think that probably these days the bigger threat to Christianity is is paganism. But I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts concerning atheism. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's interesting too because, um, like, I had gone probably uh, almost two months ago, um, end of September. I went on uh, the redacted um, redacted podcast, and we had kind of talked about this because um, we were we were talking on Twitter on how like. Uh, the, the gun culture is really changing. And when you look at how it started versus where it is kind of now, is that it started out with, you know, just normal, like hunting kind of thing, like the whole Second Amendment deal. And then it turned into like, okay, maybe I should get an AR-15, um, like in the early 2000s. And then you have guys like Nut and Fancy and, and all that that started sort of normalizing, like getting gear. And so um, after that sort of um, like speed bump, most people the got king. over okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the strongest Mormon. No, but once that uh, got that bump, kind of got over where most people are like, all right, you know, maybe I should get gear and stuff, even if I'm not in the military or whatever. Um, I think that you know, because the, the other day too, I I uh, actually yesterday I had posted something where it was uh, it was a screenshot from like that whole Twitter thread where I had said like if you post about Kit or something like that, it'll get a lot of traction generally and a lot of discussion. And then when you start posting about deeper, like thought-provoking ideas and topics, such as like the philosophy behind why, and and then you know obviously that's that's naturally going to go into theology, which is just a subsect of philosophy, and all that. Um, it generally doesn't get as much traction. Of philosophy, I would say, yeah. yeah, and you know not as many people want to engage in that and whatnot. And uh, and this guy, his his name on uh, Twitter is not Kern. But he, he had like such a such a good response and he said, uh, you think most of these people are gonna fight? He said, Bro, this shit is makeup and purses with a brand of faux masculinity slapped on the side with cool editing for men. Don't ask modern serfs to think like modern knights or even men at arms. And it's a pretty it's a pretty good point. Um, you know, especially like there's a lot of more popular um influencers quote unquote uh that are in this sphere that just are you know they, they might get like uh and, and we were um kind of talking about this before too about how like they'll get like this scenario where it's like a medical scenario where you gotta go down the road and like help the old guy that fell out of his tree stand and uh, the, uh you know the end of times kind of scenario and dudes are talking about like the sponsors and people that have sent them gear and you know all the gear they're gonna pack and all this stuff like they're like they're gearing up to go for like a gunfight or something and it you know on the on the surface you can say like okay you're not looking at the mission as to like the why on the what right you don't it's a medical thing and you've hardly packed any medical gear um you're packing more mags than you are medical gear for a medical thing that's like a mile down the road and then when you really start sort of digging deeper and deeper and you feel that there's there's a lot of times where i don't i don't know if people have like a good why even in terms of like what they're going to be training for and then beyond that, like why they are training for that. And not just like in the sense of, um, you know, doing like an area study and saying like, okay, you know, I live in, in this spot and it's close to borders and stuff and, you know, cartel and all that. And, um, you know, like doing, doing that sort of like strategic, um, 
like that strategic study of your area, but then it goes even further into like the the, the true like philosophical why does any of this matter? You know, why why does it matter if if the cartel controls your whole area, if you're still able to have a job and you're still able to have food and stuff? So I think that a lot of guys don't have like that real deep like philosophical why behind their their reason to actually train and all that. And then once I think that it's important because once guys have that, then they can start working on the foundations of their group and figuring out like, okay, you know, I only want people that are going to think similarly and have the same kind of goals and have the same um, mindset behind things because I want like-minded guys to be next to me if something bad happens. So I think that that's sort of like the real, the real way that the second amendment is sort of moving into now is that a lot of these surface level, like, barrel length, what chest rig do I get, plate carrier kind of questions uh, have been answered years ago. And it still gets recycled all the time. And, and even I'm guilty of it because people ask me all the time. And so I'll, I'm always tinkering with my kid, obviously, and I'll talk to people about this and that. But I think that the real important thing is like, why does any of that matter? You know, if you don't have a, a reason to equip yourself, it doesn't matter what you pick because it's it, at that point, it's just like that guy said, it's like, you know, purses and shopping and stuff with, with a branding of masculinity over it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 to go even farther, uh, with the point that you just made, you and I had this conversation in, uh, I think it was the longhouse chat the other day, but like, uh, what was it? it was, it was the solidarity concept within the gun community, quote unquote, Hmm. and how, uh, Basically, it's just like how the gun community is basically a materialistic phenomenon right now where everybody finds solidarity with each other based on a material item that they own and uh, how that's just like completely idiotic, right? And so uh, I, I think to go even a step further from what you're saying is like when we're talking about gun owners, we're, we are almost always coming for it with like the presupposition that everybody's already on the same side. And whenever we talk <laughs> about whys, um, like why, why do they do these things? Like, why are they preparing and getting up and stuff like that? We're presuming that they're on the same side as us. Um, and they just have a different reason for why they're doing the same thing as us. I think it's a very real thing that we have to understand that because they don't believe the same things that we do, because these people say like, don't fear God, don't fear the law of God. Um, they, they are, I mean, you get, uh, transgender shooters for that exact same reason, like shooting up Christian schools. Right. Or you, I mean, you get, you get cartels invading, uh, you know, Mexican towns, chopping people's heads off and stuff like that. So, I mean, I mean, to go a step farther, like uh, on top of what you were saying, I think it's like, really, this is going to be the dividing point is to like, who actually is on your side. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, well, you know, I, yeah, I mean, like we, the, we way, can... the way it is right now is just like the gun community as it stands cannot last. It's the whole reason that we can't get laws passed to help us is because the only thing the only only common ground that the vast majority of gun owners share is the fact that we own a a similar piece of metal and plastic there's like no other common traits uh especially as as america becomes more and more secular becomes more and more divisive on the the moral beliefs that it holds um 
uh, you know, it's it like no, at no point in history did people say like, I am in solidarity. I'm in friendship with my, my enemy because he owns, he has a sword too. <laughs> no, makes no sense. Right. Well, like, I think too, that a lot of people sort of replace like the, they, they do like a blanket replacement with using the constitution. And I think that that's what kind of got us into this mess in the first place, because obviously the constitution can be amended and the constitution is so up for um, anybody to interpret it how they want, where, you know, some people might say, okay, the second amendment only counts for hunting. And then other people will go as far as to say that it's for, you know, the well-regulated militia part. And, and I'm not saying that in a bad thing, obviously, because, you know, but, um, you know, there, you have such like a varying scale on it uh and, and you have people on both ends of the spectrum on that and it's because it's it's really up to everybody's own interpretation and and i think that that's a big thing too is when you really start talking to people and they're like oh well you know i want to equip myself and get a group and everything to fight for freedom it's like okay why well that's what the constitution told us okay <laughs> well, like what what authority does that have and obviously yeah, that's it- the the backing of all the laws in the country but it's like and then what (laughs) yeah i I think in that regard the constitution is very much akin to uh the firearms issue because the constitution is uh it's a tool or an implement that was instituted um in order to attain or secure a particular good right like the founders have a certain idea about what a good society looks like and the constitution is implemented to help you attain that and it's kind of the same thing with the firearm is that you've got there's an ideal that you want to attain for society and it's seen that you know second amendment firearms preparedness stuff um is a kind of a, a tool in pursuit of a greater thing that you ought to be pursuing and if you could be secure in the attainment of that greater thing then you wouldn't need the tool um and if the tool does not help you to attain that greater thing then perhaps um you know the tool ain't all it's cracked up to be Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think this also goes into the. It was something we were talking about today in somebody's some group chat. I don't know uh, about rosary. There's too many to keep track of. There's too many to keep track of. Yeah, one of the captains. It's all the same people like I said before too. <laughs> exactly. It might as well just be the same one. But it was about uh, we were talking about rosary. Solidarity. Because uh, uh, one of our friends, uh, Justin, he was posting the rosaries that he and his wife were making. Um, on just in there sharing them and everything look very beautiful, and a point was made, maybe by by you, Andrew, maybe by somebody else, about the fact that the whole like rugged rosary phenomenon, the man manly like masculine rosary, yeah, my my rosary is so cool, man, I could beat somebody to death with it, you know, like that's unnecessary. The rosary is uh, it is a beautiful thing. It's it's a bouquet of flowers for our our blessed mother. It need not be masked in this kind of overly masculine, overly militant kind of aesthetic, and it kind of comes down to the coffee for for rosaries. Well, there's like rugged rosaries, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, like ship it in an ammo can or whatever, you know. I don't know. Uh, Make it out of. I think Andrew. I think you said something about making the rosary out of dip cans and things like that. You know, it's it's just ridiculous. There's no point. Why anything like that should be should be done? It should. I think it ought to be beautiful. It ought to be uh, something that exudes the beauty that the church has to offer and the beauty of the devotion, um, and not something that's 
I don't know, uh, trying to be something it's not. And that comes down to the fact that a lot of people, I think, are chasing aesthetics, uh, especially among Catholics. Uh, dare I say that many people chase the aesthetic of traditional Catholicism because it looks cool and it smells good and it sounds neat. You know, that's uh, you hear about the smells and bells uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, I was uh, this past weekend um, passing through Baton Rouge and we went to a uh, my wife and I went to a Latin mass at uh, St. Agnes and the priest there during his homily mentioned he was talking about basically, you know, the, basically the, the quote from St. Padre Pio, uh, pray, hope and don't worry. You know, don't worry about all the scandal and things that are happening in the church. Because what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You're going to leave? You're going to go to the Eastern Orthodox? He's like, yeah, they got all the smells and the bells and the cool liturgy. They're just not part of the church. And that's the reality that people, the same thing with like gun culture, whatever you want to call it. Everyone's chasing uh, an aesthetic. Uh, you see it in the hunting scene, too. Everyone wants to wear the new niche hunting camo that First Light or Kuyu or however you say it, you know, that they that they put out. Um, then sometimes you go back and it's like, hey, we're just wearing Masio this year or some, some kind of duck hunter camo. And it's just the same thing over and over again. It has no purpose to it other than an aesthetic. And I'll be one of the first to say that looking cool is very important. But uh, you need to to actually back up that that appearance with something good, and I don't think there's a lot of good. I don't think there's a lot of depth to uh, what we call gun culture at all, because like you say, like like the point of this whole discussion is there's nothing, uh, there's no nuance to it. It's just like, hey, look at this uh, piece of nylon uh, that I have. You know, look how cool it is. You know how many mags I can fit in this thing, and I can put a tourniquet on it. You know. Or do you know, uh, do you know how good my suppressor is at flash suppress? I, I don't know. It's just ridiculous. There's no point to half of this, and that, I guess that should be something we should evaluate ourselves. You know, why do we put so much time and effort into this? But it's kind of like you're talking to a brick wall uh, half the time. <laughs> if you try and convince people that hey, uh, the entire basis of your life should not be how many things you can buy then maybe maybe they're a lot worse off than than you or than they than they ought to be and it might be a little harder to get to them than than we think yeah i, I think too that that's part part of that has to do with the fact that most of us i would say have met a lot of people on on instagram right which is like a primarily uh visual uh platform so um then you can look at too you know People have even asked me before, like, hey, I, what's that? I was going to say, someone say a primarily feminine platform, frankly, for yeah, that reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just outing ourselves yeah. or yourself or whatever. So <laughs> true. I'm going to delete my Instagram right now. I did just we need a, We need a Black out. Rifle Coffee version of Instagram with, with a dip can for the logo, like you said. No, but um, I mean, people have even asked me before, like, hey, how do I get more outreach on posts and stuff? And it's like, you know, you're just putting up like a wall of information people need something visual because most of the time when people like and share and stuff they're not even really reading it um you know a lot of the time i think now people do a little bit more but um they'll see the cool picture or whatever and, and send it and i think that that translates now to where people are taking their sort of spiritual journey because they see all the cool uh what, what, what is it the the little dark age edits of like orthodoxy and stuff like that and then, like you say, kind of the smells and the bells and the 
the aesthetic of it and all that. And, um, and I've heard that too before where people will even say like, Oh, I'm thinking about going to orthodoxy and stuff like that. And when you really like dig down into it, they're not overtly saying that it's because of the, um, what the hell is that? Sorry. (laughs) They're, People aren't overtly saying that it's because of like the cool edits and pictures and you know all the all the guys in war torn countries holding up like uh, you know the Byzantine icons and Orthodox stuff and and all that. But you can tell that that's kind of why a lot of people are are gravitating toward that is because of the aesthetic stuff. And I, I think that a lot of these people do have the best interest at heart and want to go to like the traditional thing and they understand the purpose of the values and and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of people are, are buying into the aesthetic and, and all that. And and you can even tell, too, based on different accounts that have a lot more outreach and stuff like that because they have a better production value. And a lot of people, too, will will quote guys like in the in the gear and tactics and that whole realm. Um, and, and they'll obviously it kind of goes both ways where people that have really good content will get a larger following based on that. But I think that a lot of people too will automatically gravitate toward people that have a larger following because they have that. And and it stems from having like a good production value and knowing how the whole algorithm works and what time to put things out and all that when it's like, and ultimately it doesn't matter. Like you can look at um, like, like the older, like Breno 331 videos where it's like, he's just got some, whatever camera on like a tripod and he's giving out like all this good information and he's not nearly as big as people that are not giving out any good information at all. And they have like really good flashy camera stuff going on. And um, I'm not saying that, that, you know, good production value is bad necessarily, but you got to look at the content that's being. This is like literally the cream of the crop. Brent 033. Oh yeah. Like all lot of older stuff is literally the cream of the crop. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy too. Like I, that's what it's funny because he's just reading out of a manual yeah yep um but he knows how to back it right like dude's seen a lot of dude's seen enough war to know like what works in the manual and what doesn't um the grizzled marine (laughs) yeah i mean he was in like the original the the initial invasion into iraq and all that stuff like he knows what he's doing um but you know it goes it goes in in terms of like guns and gear and stuff all the way to now now that the whole gun realm is starting to shift away from like that sort of doomer mentality into okay now now i need uh the spiritual side of things and i think too that that's it's not necessarily bad um and and it's i think that the reason why a lot of people don't necessarily make the full jump into it is because of the idea of of being self-sustaining and that's what a lot of people are training for is that self-sustaining um level um, and within that, you can really get into your own brain on why it doesn't matter if you, or, or you know, to kind of prefer to be self-sufficient in like your your own spiritual side versus submitting to God. Um, so I think that that kind of all ties in line when you know we all can sit here for hours and talk about why. At a certain point, this, you're saying, okay, this is this is all I can do, right? It's in your <laughs> yeah, I th- I think, and also in another way, a lot of people don't know how to get into it, like a spiritual awakening of some sort. You know, like that's b- back in the back in the uh, 
was it the 18 early 1840s to the 1860s um hey uh i'll yeah i mean my wife brought me dinner (laughs) um but uh can i have a fork (laughs) so uh this is what the doomer fears uh, like in the 18th, did you hear the door? It was like, <laughs> but uh, it's better than Isaac's but, fan. <laughs> that was, dude, I, that I was the one, like I was like, oh my god, was, he is getting shot at. <laughs> hey, but my but wife so, like, came in and brought me milk and cookies a minute ago, so that was fun. <laughs> so, in the 1840s, 1860s, and that 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 date, those dates might be a little you're okay. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you, though. Did you hear that? Yeah. Is that... Okay. Is that the door or is that you? No, that's the door. Did you hear oh, yeah. what she said? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. All right. Uh, great. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, so during that time period, there was like the Great Awakening, the Great Revival period, uh, not the Great Awakening, the Great Revival period uh, of American uh, American culture. And so that's like when a lot of uh, the evan- evangelical movement of Christianity really started heating up again in the uh, right before, during and after the Civil War, basically. And so that's like a. Of course, uh, America as like a generally secular country with uh, Christian leanings, it goes through these ups and downs of um, of like revivalism. And so, bas- basically, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get to here is like uh, people in general like will lose the faculty of being able to like have spiritual experiences. Um, and so that that's like our our brothers in the east call it the noose it's like an uh then it's an organ that they believe exists within humanity like uh by our brothers in the east i mean the eastern orthodox the eastern catholics and such um it's like an, a spiritual organ that exists in, in humanity it's basically able to experience god's divinity directly within your life and that's they may have a better uh definition i hope that i don't get accused of heresy by our ortho bros but uh okay, you're already so, heretic. uh <laughs> I heard, yeah and so uh, but but there's a strong belief that this thing can uh can basically it's it's always there in a human but it can atrophy um in this in the same way that like uh different portions of your physical body can atrophy when not in use so um i think like a lot of humans seek uh, a spiritual experience but much of the reason why um, we see people like delving into the passions delving into materialism is because they're searching for that they, they don't know how to perceive a spiritual experience and um, and so they seek to fill the void they seek that's that's why humans are always seeking after an idol see always seeking after some sort of <laughs> some sort of um, higher experience and enlightenment. You, whether you're, uh, I mean, you hear this from atheists all the time that they're not, you know, they're they're not religious. Um, but they're spiritual. They might might not be. Yeah, they, they they might they might be spiritual or they, but they they also don't believe that God exists. But they believe they have a soul, 
you hear this this inconsistent stuff from from atheists and agnostics all the time so or they may, may they might not believe in a spirit but they believe in some sort of enlightenment like an enlightened uh, enlightened state of being so humans are always seeking after it but we we lose that ability to to perceive um religious experience uh spiritual experience by letting it atrophy and andrew you mentioned one thing one day that i had heard it before but uh you always have the right words to bring back memories but uh so it was uh your comment on like how to be i don't i can't remember it was like maybe like how to be more religious or more faithful and it's like act the part until it starts uh until it starts taking root right yeah yeah I remember you saying. Well, that. yeah, it's about it's about the development of virtue, right? That you 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 emulate virtue until you attain to virtue. You know, it's kind of the way you you train an animal or like you raise a child in the same way, right? Where you 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 compel them to act like a virtuous person would, and gradually they grow into that mold or that form and begin developing the actual virtue itself. Yeah, and this is why the liturgical life of the church is so important. Because when we when we look at a, a properly ordered liturgy, um, one that that actually you know exudes all this virtue that we're that we're seeking, and these these spiritual these divine experiences, these this close inter, intimate encounter with God, you see that people are properly disposed towards it. You don't need to if you go to a honestly. Okay, so back um, two weeks before my wedding, actually uh, about a month ago. I was in St. Louis for a friend's wedding. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was I was in St. Louis for a friend's wedding, and it was at the um, at an ICKSP uh, parish. So it was a solemn high mass at the St. Francis de Sales Oratory. Nobody needed to tell. There were a ton of non-Catholics there, and like you know, people who had never been to a TLM before in their life. But not a single person had to tell them that this was a sacred space and they were not to, to talk or to clap or to celebrate or anything in there. Nobody needed to tell them that because they just know simply by, by virtue of what's happening during the liturgy. It disposes one, uh, someone to uh, the realities and the truths that are taking place. I tried to do that as, as best as possible during my liturgy, um, my, my wedding mass, um, you know, and like we did what we could in the, the, the Novus Ordo, uh, right, you know, and chanted the Mass Ordinary in Latin and everything. We um, had these these beautiful Orthodox hymns and had, um, like, everything, you know, basically as celebrated as reverently and properly as possible, omitted the sign of the peace, all that good stuff. And, you know, we didn't have anyone trying to applaud for us, you know, or to... To celebrate or anything there was no issue and there were there were, weren't people standing around after mass or um right before mass talking or anything either so all the issues that i normally see on a normal sunday um they were they were gone and that's ultimately because you're you're trying to at least in a sense you know ape the virtue which you want you know you're trying to emulate it you're trying to emulate heaven and trying to create a sacred space, and when you do that successfully, people respond in turn. And so, yeah, and it it trains you too, right? Like, I mean, even you think about the the stances during the mass. You know, you have to stand at certain times, right? You stand to the gospel, right? And you know, the, the symbolism there is that you're supposed to be, you know, standing ready to execute the, the, the commands of the gospel, yeah. um, or you kneel at the you know the elevation, and you don't necessarily do that because you're moved by a particular virtue 
uh, to do that at a particular time during the mass. You kneel because everybody else kneels. But over time, that trains you to say, oh, it's training you in, in humility and in subjecting yourself and uh, recognizing that you are you are lower than God and he's owed veneration or yeah. that, uh, you know, you, these sorts of things. There will be times too when... I was. I mean, there there will be times when you you don't feel it. You know, you don't feel moved by the mass necessarily. Maybe you're. Um, hopefully, you're not living in mortal sin. But maybe there's just the sense that um, you you didn't sleep well the night before, and you're not properly disposed to to it, like actually attending mass. But you're doing it anyway because you have a duty to God and a holy obligation. But also because you know that simply training yourself in that virtue to be there, to be present, and to act in this way is going to um, you are going to receive grace, untold amounts of grace uh, from the sacraments, which is very beautiful and very wonderful. And it, it really is a lesson in fidelity and humility. Yeah, yeah, you know, you could be wrangling kids the whole time and not know what's going on. But uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to um, Eastern Catholic Mass. Um, we I looked around for like a Byzantine rite that was by us because, um, you know, the in an SSPX, uh, I, I attend an SSPX mass or a church and I had, I had heard that there's some issues going on and, and I haven't really followed into figuring out what it is exactly, but I've heard that there's some current stuff going on that, um, may put SSPX into schism. Um, and so I wanted to find a backup just in case. So we went and you know, I looked, I looked and found a Byzantine right mass and, and we attended that to see if that would be like a good, if, if, um, if the SSPX, um, fraternity of priests goes into schism with Rome, then, you know, we don't really want to be a part of it anymore and, and we'll make the jump, um, to stay, you know, in communion with Rome. So, uh, we went there and, and, you know, during a lot of the portion where people normally kneel, uh, they stand. And I, and I know that that's a common thing in the, the Orthodox church too. And, and then the other day I was reading into like a lot of the ecumenical councils and kind of the summaries of each one. And there was one thing that had, um, it, it had to do with uh, like standing versus kneeling in one of the earlier ecumenical councils. And, and oh, Marauder left us. Um, I can't, I don't know exactly what point um, they went back into kneeling for certain portions, but no, it's, it's interesting. But uh, I think that too, to um, sort of, back what marauder was saying even though he just left for some reason um but uh you know i think that a lot of people are trying to jump into the faith and immediately have like some sort of mystic experience and uh you know we we will generally like read into different mystics like uh saint padre pio and hearing some of the stuff that happened to him just it, it honestly like I think that everybody can say that it sounds incredible. And, and some of this stuff too is, is not, um, you know, like, uh, um, I can't remember the, the term for it right now, but where he like had the, the wounds of Christ on his, ha on his hands. Stigmata. Yeah. Yeah. The stigmata. Um, you know, obviously that doesn't necessarily sound like fun, but he's not doing it to have attention or, or have fun with it. Um, uh, he didn't have, really have a choice, but, <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to immediately get like that, experience where you hear about um where people be like oh i was in this low point and and i saw jesus or i saw this angel who talked to me and and it's like a very tangible experience uh oh, he's back um 
So yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of guys are looking for that kind of tangible, like mystic experience. And there's a good chance that that's probably not going to happen, especially if you're like just new and starting out. Um, and and I think, I'm not going to say it's, it's not going to happen. But yeah, go ahead. I mean, I think uh, it's beautiful to read about the, the uh, experiences that the mystics, some of the mystics and many of the saints have had. But I think it's actually kind of damaging uh, for your average person, if they have an intimate experience with the Lord, to talk about it. For one, it kind of follows this uh, Protestant tradition of te- giving your testimony, yep. talking about how God saved me and God did this for me and this and this and this. A lot of times the Lord, he, he gives us these things in confidence, um, you know, in a sense that it's it's a intimate exchange between between lovers. I mean, when you think about the the conjugal nature of the sacrament, uh, specifically the sacrament of of the Eucharist and our spousal union with God. Um, When you think about it in such a manner, you understand that this is something that God has given to you and you alone. Um, In fact, I would argue that the only person you need to be sharing these things with is possibly your own actual spouse. You know, Um, if, if if our lady comes to you um, and we're not talking about some public apparition, but like comes to you personally um, in prayer and tells you something. Um, don't don't go tell everyone else about it, because when, if people come to the faith uh, looking for for that, then they're not coming out of humility. They're coming ultimately out of pride because they're thinking it's almost a type of divination. They're thinking I can summon God. I can I can call him down and make him come to me and appear to me, which yeah, is that, not how it looks. It's, so it's like the same thing. thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. No, no. Uh, it's it's like the same thing where people will say like, oh, I would believe in God if he spoke to me or if he did, if he showed a sign or something like that. And it's like at that point, if you are without faith and you're looking for one of those sure signs or, you know, um, a vision or something like that, then you're not you're not looking for that out of the because most of the people that receive these things aren't looking for it. Right. And that's when it happens. Um and so you're you're going into it sort of like that to you to say like okay now I can believe it because now it's tangible to me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, God does send some miracles in order to provide some sort of like proof or testimony to His presence. You know, you think about Fatima and the miracle of the sun. There are times when He does uh, wish to appear to people and attract them in this way, and that's not sufficient for faith. But it's just it's a bit of a like a bait or a, a something that attracts. It reminds me of what you were saying earlier about just the aesthetics. You know, some people are attracted to traditional Christianity because it has this uh, militant, hardcore, serious aesthetic in a world that's so astray. And that's not sufficient to make somebody a Christian, but it's enough to get somebody listening, or cocking their ear to it, stepping in the door, or asking questions. And so I think that that's the sort of stuff that kind of maybe fertilizes the soil and it makes it, uh, you know, more more suitable to planting seeds. The, the little ants. dark age, yeah. The little dark age edits are real, honestly. Like, <laughs> you know, people can can they see stuff, you know, some like cool trad edit whatever on the internet, and they're like, hey, that looks neat. And then from there, they might investigate. But I feel there's probably, uh, I mean, obviously, there's scandal associated with the fact that. A lot of um, non-traditional and unorthodox 
um, Catholics um, that in Catholic masses will will lead people astray. The people will see that and they'll be like, "Oh, this isn't this isn't what I thought it was," and then they'll leave because they won't investigate any further because they were only attracted to the aesthetics in the first place. And if it doesn't have what they want, then well, that's that's too bad, you know. Um, very rarely are these aesthetics actually leading people in a direction of proper pious devotion to the Lord. Um, it's more so in a, a sense of spiritual pride. That's not to say that uh, the the traditional mass in any way evokes spiritual pride. But if that's all that you're looking for, um, then certainly it's not going to lead you closer to God. You're going to be worshiping something other than him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I think, too, that um, you, you get that a lot where guys will... They'll go. They'll start going to the traditional mass, and then they will go as far as to say that the Novus Ordo mass is not sufficient um, because it's new and in Vatican II and everything with that. And um, I mean, obviously, like the the church I go to is extremely traditional, but if you know, there, there's people that will go as far as to say like, oh, if I can't find like a a, teal, a Tridentine, like a traditional Latin mass or something, like I'm not, I'm not going to go. And it's like you're not. You're missing the point, Chief. <laughs> like that's that's not how it should be. Um, and you know, there's there's uh, at the end of my street, there's there's a a mass that or there's a church that does all Novus Ordo, and and sometimes my wife and I will go there for confession because they do like a Saturday evening, um, so we can go into confession, and then before our Sunday uh, our Sunday mass that we go to at our normal church, if we can't get there early enough to to go to confession or whatever, um, but like sometimes we'll we'll go there if the time schedule or whatever, what's whatever's going on leads us to have to, you know, go at the time that they offer. Um, but it's not like we don't feel sufficient leaving, right? Like you're, you're still going there. You're still, um, you're still hearing the word of God. You're still getting a homily to explain things or to make it more, um, you know, to ensure that it's relevant into what's going on in today's times and and whatnot and and hearing from the wisdom of the priest. And then you are partaking in the Eucharist, which is sort of the entire purpose of going to mass. So I I think that, yeah, there's a lot of people that succumb to the aesthetic portion of it. And then they want to, they want to jump full fledged into the traditional side of things, which I'm not going to say is bad in any regard. Um, but you, you need to you need to analyze why you're doing that and and then that sort of comes full circle into you know why are you doing the whole prepping side of things why are you organizing why are you trying to get groups why are you training all that and if it's if it's solely for the aesthetic thing or because of some very surface level reasoning um, it's not gonna hold as soon as things get bad and that's why you even see right now where uh, you know, recently there was uh, all the headlines going around that were saying that uh, that Pope Francis said that um, uh, trannies can can get baptized and all that, and, and all these people were all up in arms. And uh, even it, you know, I kind of I don't want to say I fell for it, but as soon as, as I saw the headlines, I was like, this this doesn't seem right. And I actually messaged you guys about it to see what your thoughts were on it because um, I hadn't seen the the document. I don't even think it was released. But uh, you know, you, there was even guys that were on online saying like, yep, this is the final straw. I'm leaving the Catholic church. I'm going to the Orthodox church and whatnot. And then, you know, a couple of days later when, when a lot of people, when the document was released and a lot of people were able to read into it, it said that yes, they can be baptized 
but under the same circumstances as everybody else where they want to live the life of Christ and, and you know, you have to cast out the demons and, and all that stuff. And, and um, you know, it's, it's I, I think that you had actually said it, Isaac, where, uh, you know, the, the, the church is a place to go when, when you need to be healed. It's a hospital. So somebody who's the most sick shouldn't necessarily be turned away if they want to be better. Um, so I think that that's an important yeah. thing to, to note too. Um, for for guys that are kind of looking into the the church and, and and wanting to go into the traditional route and everything is is make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Don't don't just go there because that that one little dark age that it hit a little too hard and you're like, yep, this is it. This is this is the one. It's like, hey, <laughs> I, I really don't like gays, so I'm going to go be a tratty Catholic. <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> no, that's, no, just no. A, that, that's just a cool side benefit you get. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's like a push and a pull, right, is the whole thing. I mean, I think we, you know, you are talking earlier about the Second Great Awakening, and I think we've got a situation kind of like that um, to a much lesser degree here, which is that the culture is so degraded and it's so repulsive to people at a natural level. You know, even if they're not a traditional-minded sort of a person that they know there's got to be something wrong with it. And I think that's what kind of moves people kind of in some of this, these proper directions and involved in this kind of scene. And from that point, you've got pretty ripe soil, I think, um, to plant seeds and try to draw people into the faith and uh, preach the fullness of the gospel because they already know that there's something wrong with the world. And that's kind of, that's the first part of the Christian message. You know, it's like the fall, you know, if there's no fall, there's no need for the new Adam and for Jesus Christ and uh, everything, all of salvation history. And so if you've already got people basically convinced of that first step, it's much easier to come in and say, Hey, look, and here's the second step. You guys, you gotta be serious. You gotta be serious about this, this sort of stuff. And you know, th- this reminds me of, um, this reminds me of something I haven't watched him in years, but uh, many years ago, Taylor Marshall used to put out some content that was good. Um, And one thing, (laughs) a lot of people would watch him and that channel and that sort of content because it was controversial, right? It's because it's, it's dealing with salacious sort of content about church politics or whatever, and people are interested in that. But... One thing that he would always do at the end of these broadcasts is he would always say, if you're not praying the rosary, you're not on the team. That was kind of like a sign-off they had. And uh, that always stuck with me. And that just seems to me such a good thing, right? People are attracted or will listen to him for a particular reason. But that's not that's not ultimately what he's trying to get them for, right? He, he's trying to help them develop a spiritual life in that regard, saying, hey, you should be praying the rosary, you know? I know you clicked on this because it relates to some headline in the news, but what's really important is your prayer life. What's really important is getting right with God. What's really important is spirituality and the moral life and all these sorts of things. Um, and so I think we have a good opportunity in this space to do something uh, very much like that. Yeah, man. Hey, St. Louis de Montfort uh, told us to pray the rosary every single day and offer all our intentions to the Blessed Mother and entrust our entire being to her in general. So I'd say that's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good metric. You know, if you're if someone is encouraging you to entrust yourself to Our Lady to to guide you to Christ, then uh, they're they can be you know, it's that's a good example. It's a good example to set. And so something you see a lot, um, and I don't really I don't involve myself with. I'm not brave enough for politics, uh, but uh, <laughs> um, 
some you have a lot of grifters um, within the church today. Um, one of whom who, uh, uh, well, uh, I'm sure you've all heard of uh, Reason and Theology that channel. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good channel. I don't think anyone really? should watch it. Uh, I I'm sure. I don't want to speak ill of Michael Lofton himself because I don't know him, so I won't pass judgment on, on, on that, but I don't think it's a good channel because I don't think it's actually leading anyone towards a, a good. I have one, one friend in specific who's a very good friend of mine who um, I think he it leads him to be in a bad spot a lot of the time. Kind of uh, scandalizes him because he just pays too much attention to this stuff and allows it to really eat away at his uh, at his heart and at his spiritual life. And that's not that's not a good thing. You know, I'm like, I, it's not good for anyone to be in a situation where they're, the things that they're exposed to are destroying their soul. And we can look at secular media and say, you know, that's, uh, that's all that it does, basically. The secular media is designed to, to endorse mortal sin and destroy the soul. It's supposed to lead you away from God. But if you're masking yourself as Catholic media, as, you know, church, something church related, yet you're still causing the same effect, I think that's much more insidious because it doesn't have the, it has the exact opposite of the effect that you maybe want it to have um, with the added bonus that you yourself are committing grave sin through, through scandal. Uh, and, you know, one of the problems with, with that channel is kind of the, the constant, almost like hyper papalist, pope explaining whatever nonsense that just oh every time Pope Francis says something, I have to explain it in my own terms and say why it's not actually what you think it means. It's this, and in reality, you would probably be you would probably have a much healthier um, church in general, and probably more support for traditionalists um, throughout the whole of the church if the narrative was more so just, hey, don't worry about what the Pope says, just go to Mass, pray the Rosary. And, you know, it's, it really, uh, really does bother me um, hearing people, seeing people watch this stuff or talk about this stuff or link videos and whatever, because it's just, it's not good. It's a grift is all that it is. It's people trying to make money and uh, gain fame and, and fortune off of the scandal within the church. Yeah, I, I, I personally, I think that, um, I think that it's one of those things too, where if you are constantly looking at it and constantly, as soon as something happens, you're wondering like, okay, now I need to see what these guys are saying. Then you're, you're starting to create your own idols and, and you're starting to, to go toward that. Um, I personally like reason and theology just cause, uh, I think that Michael Lofton, which I think now he's, I think he's even like a Byzantine Catholic priest now. Um, but I, I do like that he has the perspective of where he was um, in the Protestant church and he wanted, he was going to be a, a pastor and then he, uh, he converted and, and then he was Orthodox and then, and then he ended up moving over to Catholicism. I think that he actually went from Protestant to Catholic to Orthodox and back to Catholic, which is kind of like a crazy thing. Um, but I, I think very reactionary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've listened to because he was on Pints with Aquinas, and and he had like a whole thing on to on why he he picked it, and um, there was actually quite a quite a long story um, as to like why he 
jump from one and then and then um you know he he had a bad experience and then he he jumped and then he realized like okay it doesn't it doesn't matter if you have the worst experience um there's still an objective truth and there's still like an objective true church um whether or not you have the best time or the worst time in it um you know you you could have the 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 best time in the world with orthodoxy but that doesn't mean that orthodoxy is correct or you could have um, you know, the, the worst time with, with Catholicism, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, but I do think that, uh, that one thing that, cause it's always going to come up and, um, and this, and I'm specifically going to not title this, this episode as, as part as like, being, uh, in like the Catholic series. So that way, uh, more guys, <laughs> more people that may not be interested in that click on it. But, um, if somebody can, can I know everybody can jump on this too. If somebody wants to give like a quick explanation um, for five or six minutes or so, but because um, you, you had mentioned Andrew about how uh, uh, Taylor Marshall would say at the end of each thing, like, okay, now go and pray, pray the rosary. Um, I think that it's it's important to dispel why intercession and why the rosary is not, um, you know, heretical or, or bad. Somebody wants to jump on that one. Um. Well, the easiest place to start with that is just the principle of intercessory prayer itself. Uh, I think a lot of Protestants have the Gosh, opinion that, that, that <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're praying to the saints as like a proxy for God or uh, to appeal to them to accomplish something uh, according to their own power. Uh, but that's not at all the case. You're, you're really just you're asking the saints to pray for you, just like you'd ask anybody else to pray for you. You know, when, when I'm going through a hard time or uh, I know somebody who's saying, I'll ask people to, to pray for that person or to pray for me, or I'll offer to pray for somebody. And, you know, I think that's something that the Protestants would be in perfect accord with Catholics on. I mean, I know Protestants pray for each other and ask people to pray for them. And really the only difference is that um, I think as a Catholic, you have a very robust understanding of the communion of the saints and that once you have died, you are like even more fully a member of the church than you are in this life. If if you've died and you've gone to heaven, you're in the presence of God and you're enjoying the beatific vision. Um, you've been purged of um, your earthly imperfections and attachments to sin. Um, and you're just as alive you're even more alive than you are in this life you know and that's why you know we believe at mass all of the saints are there uh participating in the mass with you and glorifying god you know we know from revelations that the saints are in heaven uh worshiping god and sending up a prayer um and uh glorifying god in heaven all the time and so those people who are very much alive and who are more perfectly united to god than anybody you know in your daily life they're even more suited to pray for you and with you than any of your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ here in this world um, are alive, walking around. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I think I think in a lot of conversations about this, um, I've heard people express a uh, concern about the fact that the the saints can't hear you. You know that because they're dead and they can't hear you speak with your physical voice. Therefore, they couldn't uh, intercede for you. And uh, I don't know, to my mind, that seems to be hung up on quite a, a 
a, a technical <laughs> sort of a matter um, and ignores sort of the, the overall principle, which is just that you're asking saints to pray with you and for you, just like you do anybody else. Yeah, I know that one also, of the other common uh, like pushbacks that you get is like, oh, why not just go directly to God? Or why not, why not just pray for Jesus since he's the sole mediator between humanity and and heaven? So, well, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, it's not either ahead. or, right? I mean, it's um, it's a both and, right? I mean, you can pray to Jesus, and as a Catholic, you do. I mean, all the time, regularly, every day. And you can also ask other people to pray for you. I mean, that's the same thing when you ask somebody else to pray for you. You know, you say, hey, could you please pray for my mom? She's sick. Uh, people could rejo- have a rejoinder and say, no, why don't you just pray right to Jesus? Why do you need it? That's ridiculous and uncharitable. You know, and it, you, you've got time for both and they don't detract one from the other. And additionally, you know, you see this in the in the Gospels, for example, right? And at the wedding at Cana, Jesus' very first miracle is accomplished by the intercession of his mother, right? Um, she goes to him on behalf of the bridegroom and says, servants, do what he tells you. He's going to arrange this miracle. Uh, and that's not them appealing directly to Jesus. That's them appealing to Mary, and Mary appeals to Jesus, and Jesus does as she asks because he respects his mother. Because that's another thing. You know, basically everything we believe about the saints and about Mariology, it derives from a very high Christology, right? And as a Catholic, we believe that God um, in Jesus Christ was morally perfect and perfectly fulfilled the law. And it's a dictate of the moral law um, and even of like, uh, you know, the Mosaic law, the, the Ten Commandments, that you honor your father and mother, right? So we know from that that Jesus being perfect perfectly honored his mother and his father and obeyed them in all things right and uh mary does not cease to be his mother uh now that she's you know assumed into heaven and both of them are um in heaven now she's still his mother and he still honors and respects her um and it's impossible that you would be able to honor and respect the blessed virgin greater than jesus does or that he would cease to obey um or respect her wishes especially given that being so perfect, her wishes are perfectly aligned with those of Christ himself. She's not going to petition ever for anything which is um, contrary to the will of God because she's enjoying the beatific vision. She's in heaven is perfectly united with him, just like all of his saints. And that's the reality of the saints too, is that, yeah, they are in perfect union with God. In fact, so perfect of a union that they are actually part of his body, the body of Christ. Yes. His, his real body, <laughs> um, which means... It means that they are in such perfect union um, that they are literally every prayer that would possibly be directed towards them is ultimately it is directed to Christ because them being members of his body immediately that 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 the grace of that prayer is going to flow to and from him um, on top of that there is I think there's something that's that's not often discussed and that's the kind of the humility of turning to the saints turning to these these guides and these these examples of, of holy living, you know, of, of holy lives, of you know that, that we have seen in the history of the church, and we can turn to them, going for one, you know, why not go straight to God? I don't really know that I am prepared to go straight to God all the time. There is a sense that, especially someone who is in grave sin, um, do you think that they are are prepared for the the actual purifying fire of of God? Are they really prepared for the the pure divinity of of our Lord? 
no, they're actually not. <laughs> so, you know, why not ask um, then? And also there's the fact that um, we know that um, the prayers of a, of a righteous man are heard, but the prayers of, of, of a sinner may not always be heard in the same way or heard, heard at all. Yeah. So, you know, we, we can turn to the saints and ask them, please pray for me because I know that I am a weak, sinful and sorrowful man. And I know certainly that, um, especially in times of, of hardship and of sin, um, that my prayers probably don't look as nice as yours. Um, and that's um, something that uh, St. Louis de Montfort also says about the rosary, is that basically praying, you know, um, praying the rosary and asking Our Lady for her prayers is like, imagine if you're, you're a peasant who is coming to bring uh, your, you know, some of your, basically your tithe, you know, some of your produce or something to, uh, to your king. All you have is uh, a measly uh, sack of potatoes, basically, you know, and you're like, wow, this is not really a gift fit for a king. So then you turn to uh, the queen mother. You come to her, actually, and um, not in secret, but maybe you come to her at another time when the king is not in, in audience. And you, you ask her, would you make this gift fit for, for our king? And she, of course, being a, a loving mother, sees, you know, has pity on you and recognizes that you are in need of, of assistance. And so then makes your prayer, uh, your gift, um, your sack of potatoes look as, as if it is some, you know, it's, it's wreathed in gold, you know, and it's on a silver platter and it's beautiful. It's flowered in rose or covered in rose petals and everything, you know, it looks nice. Um, and smells and bells. Smells and bells. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's great beauty in that, in the, the fact that, uh, our lady and all of the saints for that matter, will lovingly accept your gift uh, and, and bring it to God um, just simply because by virtue of them caring for you um, uh, because we're all part of that body of Christ, though they are more perfectly aligned with his body than we are. Yeah, I think that's something too to um, sort of reinforce a lot of that is the two that come to my head are um, Our Lady of Fatima and Our Lady of Guadalupe where you know people had um, Mary appeared to them and deliver messages essentially. Um, and you know, if, if, if they weren't able to intercede, um, it would have been Jesus himself, which, which we know that there have been, uh, visions from, you know, Jesus himself coming to people, um, especially like, uh, uh, with the, you know, revelation i guess of like the sacred heart to uh, i don't i can't remember how to say her name uh saint margaret mary alacoque um, alacoque yeah all those weird uh cues and stuff and, and names but um yeah you know uh, jesus appeared to her on uh what was it four separate occasions and um yeah. and so we we know that jesus will still appear to people um but so will mary and so will some of the other saints and whatnot. And also, you know, you can even, uh, going back to St. Padre Pio, he had a, uh, a very good relationship with his guardian angel where he would even send his guardian angel to do like tasks for him. Um, and there was, uh, I was listening to something where somebody who was essentially, uh, his assistant would, uh, would be woken up like from something weird happening or whatever in his room. He'd realize, Oh, I'm running late. And then, uh, and then he would, he would arrive and, and pick up 
San Padre Pio. And, and uh, he would essentially say like, oh, okay, so you got my message. And um, he did that on so many different occasions um, to where people were like, you know, okay, he definitely has a relationship. He can definitely talk to his guardian angel and whatnot. So the, the, the guardian angel thing is real. Um, and that's, that's just another form of, of intercession. And, and also too, I've, I've heard it, uh, explained or, or read it that, um, you know, every time that, that God intercedes through somebody, um, or one of the saints or one of the archangels or whatever, um, it's, it's not, it's not saying that he doesn't have the power to, it's saying that he has more power because he's able to use us as his tools, essentially. Um, and everybody to some degree, uh, intercedes, intercedes on, on Christ's behalf. Um, and there's so many times where people have, you know, weird experiences where they'll hear somebody say something and it was just the right thing that they needed to hear, maybe in passing or, or whatever. And, um, it'll make them sort of think like, okay, you know, maybe God is real and it'll start down that journey. And that's, you know, this, this like, so an example that, that I have is a story from a friend of mine who, uh, he's, he's thankfully turning back to back to faith and everything, but, uh, he didn't have any for the longest time. And, and, you know, the, the story that he had told me, um, cause it was kind of funny. Like we were never really aligned. Um, you know, when, when he was going through like a very, hard religious phase. And I can't remember like what, um, denomination the church he went to was. Um, but like they would give each other like readings and, and all this weird stuff. Um, it was like the speaking in tongues kind of things. Cause we actually, uh, Pentecostal. Yeah, it might've been. Um, cause we were actually in a, in a coffee shop one time and these two older ladies came in and he was like, Oh, you guys go to this church. You know, I go there and then they just sat down and they were like, Oh yeah, anybody can do it. And they just started babbling gibberish in this coffee shop. It was really weird. Um, but anyway, uh, he was he was going through a really hard time, and he was going with his friend to to church because um, she'd she'd ask him to and and whatnot. And um, he said like he was praying for peace of mind or clarity of mind or something. It was like a very specific phrase. And then uh, at one point during mass, some like random old lady just walked up to him and was like, "Oh, I hope you." you can find that clarity of mind or something like that. And um, it was like the exact phrase that he had asked for. And essentially he, he uh, became religious at that point and faithful. And then, uh, and then it ended up doing that and all that stuff. But anyway, you know, that's, that's kind of a small example of like uh, an example of intercession, right? Like we, we may intercede on people uh, or we may intercede on Christ's behalf to others. And we might not even know it. Um, so it's, it's sort of just, helping us and helping other people have that relationship with God better. I hope I explained that well. I kind of <laughs> probably want to be, Hey, by the way, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you dropped off a couple like, times and came it, back. It's and... been like my phone had gotten super hot. Like I thought it was going to melt from my hand. I don't know what's going on, but, uh, so what, probably the biggest thing I think the biggest roadblock uh, to intercessions and uh, a lot of the non-Catholic, non-Orthodox mind is the fact that, well, uh, some of the people that were asking, most of the people that were asking to intercede with for us are dead, quote unquote. And so, this is, uh, um, Andrew, have you, did you talk about this already? Yeah, Tell that me. you're alive in Christ and you're more alive than you were on this earth. And it's it's kind of absurd too. I mean, you think about this, you think about uh, you, you know, a mother, for example, 
And for all of her life, she's praying for her children and uh, praying for them every day that they succeed, that they be good Christians, you know, that they attain to salvation. Now, when she dies, she doesn't have any less love for those children. In fact, she has much greater and more perfect love for those children, right? If she's united to Christ, she has even greater charity for those children. And she loves them more perfectly. And she is closer and more perfectly united with Jesus, who's to whom all of her prayers are ascending. And so it's certainly not the case. And we know from Revelation that the saints continue to pray. So it's certainly not the case that she would cease praying for those children. And yet the the argument that says you shouldn't pray to the saints sort of says that she's praying for you. You know she's praying for you. She knows you that you can't, know you can't, she's praying you can't, for you. You can't say, oh, by the way, could you keep praying for me? Or, or could you ask for this particular thing? I mean, yeah, it just, it just seems kind of, it's like a farce, you know, well, because you know all the other constituent parts are there. So another even, quick even note too is just that the praying just means to ask. Like it's not, right. yeah. So well, e- even then, no. even then, prayer is, when, when we're talking no. about p- dead people in heaven, uh, presuming presuming the, the the that idea is correct, and they are they did die. You know, you've already covered this. Bodily. Whenever you pass, whenever you pass from the. Uh, the physical life to life in heaven, you're more alive there than you are here on earth. But like, presuming what they say like that is true, that would only be true if 100% of the saints we appeal to are humans, because they're not. You know, uh, there's there's I, a large number of, uh, of, of saints that we pray to that are angels in heaven that we know biblically, Michael, Gabriel, are are in heaven that were never humanly alive and that we know have been angels angeloi the word literally meaning messenger he who carries a, a message back and forth from god to man and so, <laughs> and so when, whenever you in, ask for the intercession of gabriel that is literally what his job in scripture is to really <laughs> he literally appeared to mary and was like hey do you want to do this <laughs> So, so I, I presume the response, your response would be, you're track. not allowed yeah, right. to say anything to Gabriel, right? You're not allowed to ask anything of Gabriel. You're not allowed to, you know, uh, Mary had a full on, you know, a discourse with, with uh, Gabriel where she says, how, how can this be? I've not been with man. And he answers, he answers her that the Holy Spirit will overwhelm you and you will become with child. And so it's like information's being passed there. There's there's also there's, me, there's messages from God to from God to to Mary at the very least to happen with Zechariah with uh, with uh, the birth of John the Baptist or the conception of John the Baptist. Um, it's happened there's numerous times the- in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The whole book of Revelation is an angel appearing to uh, Saint John the Apostle, and 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 uh, him having a vision, a heavenly vision. So. You know this 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 talk about intercession, how it's bad because you're having you're you're asking things of dead people that that maybe can't even hear you um, to do things or to request things from God. It's own that is only true if we're talking about humans. We they're, also they, they were all talking the whole time over Baal thing. It was uh, that's all it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we also see uh, the angels doing miraculous deeds throughout scripture we see like in, in well uh, it's, Watch this out, you're is, gonna uh say Tobit. Dude, don't have that one i was gonna say i was gonna say tobit i <laughs> I, I am gonna say tobit still because i don't care that they don't have that one 
Um, I don't care that they have incomplete scripture. In Tobit, we see... Um, <laughs> scripture is infallible, except for all these books. Except for those ones, yeah. Um, <laughs> we see uh, Raphael or Raphael, however you want to say it, um, uh, doing these miraculous deeds, offering divine protection. We see um, throughout, like, further back in the Old Testament, in Genesis, angels um, coming down in under the, the, you know, not necessarily assuming, you know, the forms of flesh, but in a sense, the forms of men to, uh, to guide Lot and his family out of uh out of sodom which is also a good example of uh angels guiding uh well you know the saints and the angels divine beings guiding sinners um even when they you know may not necessarily merit that divine help because there's probably lot was not a good person um he at all uh, in fact it's even after he is saved uh from the destruction of sodom it's still shown that he and his daughters are not exactly of, uh, of, of good stock uh, for obvious reasons. And uh, they're like, it's a bush. They're like a circular stock. Their stock yes. is of his stock, which is of his stock. It's, it's a bad situation. It's really bad. It's, it's not good at all. But... in the last little dark age. Uh, little dark age <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> but, <laughs> I think you're just making things up at this point. <laughs> Yeah, but there, there's a sense that they, they did not merit um, salvation in this sense. It's obviously a, a uh, kind of a type of, of salvation that Lot and his family did not merit salvation, yet they still were um, were saved. You know, there, there's obviously, uh, you know, his wife did not persevere uh, in faith and then was struck down, turned into a salt pillar. Um, but that's, it's, it's literally a type of, of, you know, ultimately the new covenant um and the salvation which Christ offers yet they still were given divine guidance and help by angels by beings from heaven so you're telling me that doesn't happen anymore and and not just not that, allowed to be but at the request of Abraham who yes, asked, at the request asked of God else. to spare the righteous of the city of Sodom yeah and you know there's so many so many different instances of this throughout scripture we see, um, you know, it, it is, I know, like, the typology can be used in a lot of ways, some of them bad, but I think this is an example of it being very good, um, where we see biblical typology um, all the way from Genesis um, showing us the intercession of the saints. And this is probably a little more obscure than some people are willing to uh, to engage with, so maybe, you know, grain of salt and all that. But I think it's a, a beautiful example of the fact that we do receive help from from heaven constantly but you're telling me i'm not allowed to ask for it so i can receive it just as long as i don't uh ask for it because asking for it that's worship right that's uh that's idolatry um so well i don't think it's obscure at all that you mentioned that that's like um uh the graven image it's it comes from a it, the only reason it could be seen as obscure is if you're looking at it from a very undeveloped uh, point of view. So, for example, okay. the graven image yes. thing, like uh, you, you, sh you shouldn't venerate icons because it, it violates the second commandment of, uh, of, of uh, you shall not make unto yourself a graven image for worship. And so, um, like, for example, I was listening to, uh, 
a Presbyterian talk about this today in a video, and he was he was saying that a graven image means to make an image of God Himself, and um, and and to worship through it, like it's and to venerate it, even even venerating it as Catholics do, where we're just basically using it as a a, a representation uh, of the being. So, um, for but uh, a little different point before I go into this, you show, uh, I did this in my chat not too long ago, you show a picture of someone, uh, of a, uh, a statue of Jesus that's been smashed with a sledgehammer, and Protestants are up in arms about it. But you show a picture of someone venerating the statue of Jesus, and somehow it's like the exact opposite, like they're, they're uh, you know, they're, they're worshiping a false idol. Somehow, the uh, this graven image appropriately represents Jesus, um, whenever you do something bad to it but whenever you're doing something good to it uh it's it's the fault that's the back way you know it's the backwards way it's it's you're you're not you now you've turned it into an idol so you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't basically well it's like it's, it's like the same but, thing uh, too where like you have uh you could say like oh yeah i don't put any pictures up of of my wife or, or a wedding or anything because i might just love the picture and forget about her <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but so this this graven image idea right so they they come to the second commandment and they, they look at graven Im graven image and they say um this is what it means it means you cannot uh depict god himself or and often they will attach plus any heavenly being um and so and that, that's how they get away with icon veneration of saints uh and angels because uh whenever you whenever you uh so in different aspects of the Old Testament, God does say, do not make images of, of the Lord your God um, because he's the invisible God. Um, it, that changed with the coming of Christ, right? Because Christ yes. was the physical image of God, uh, the, the invisible God made visible in man. But so uh, or, or they look back to this, this piece of the Old Testament and they say, um, you, you shall not make an image of God. That's a graven image. And then they tack on plus any heavenly being. So that's how they get you with. Now you can't venerate the, uh, the icons of saints because they're not God. Saints aren't God. So their graven image uh, definition doesn't work for saints until they tack on or any heavenly being. Except they also run into the issue of the Ark of the Covenant in which God commanded uh, the Israelites to put two statues of cherubs on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which are angels and uh, beings of spirit, heavenly beings. So it's basically what I'm saying is it's only a obscure point of view, Isaac, if you're looking at this from a completely undeveloped uh, worldview. So, you know, it's it's obscure. You know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the cherubs on top, that's a obscure piece of... Well, the esoteric it's side. obscure if you don't have a completely developed you know, as a, a, a wholesome, uh, a completely developed prefrontal cortex. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about that too, is, is that, so I was just reading that this morning. This is my morning scripture reading today is when, was when David processes the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and, you know, he, he gives it all this great honor, right? Like only the Levites can carry it and they have symbols and harps and lutes or whatever. And they're doing, they're singing these hymns and dancing and making a parade for the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, you know, that's for this graven image, whatever, it's just, uh, it's just an icon. And, but the, the, what's great about that is that the, the villain in that story is at the very end, you have the last passage, you have 
David's one of his wives looks out and sees him dancing in front of the ark and venerating these icons of cherubs and she despises him in his in her heart as is you know what the scripture says and that's like that's basically exactly this scenario here right it's like david is acting properly right he is adoring and glorifying god by showing honor to a thing which is representative of him you know directing the honor to god um and the it's it's the villain of the story the person who's in the wrong is the person who looks at that and says yeah, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah, and and I, all of this to kind of go full circle brings brings us back to like the why behind the what, right? Like the deeper meaning behind things, and and not just going, not just doing things to go through the motions of it, or not just doing things because you know I may see other people doing it or or whatever, but um, you know, no having having the legitimate reason to do that, and and I think too that to kind of uh, continue to to everything like the whole message that we're, we're saying is that if if somebody finds themselves constantly you know maybe on their commute to work or the commute around listening to music that they shouldn't um for example um if they had like a small picture of of jesus or mary or somebody or or, or whatever um as like a constant reminder of the vehicle, it might help to remind them like, okay, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be listening to this stuff. Maybe I should do that. And it's, it's just kind of a lot of the, the icons and stuff act as um, reminders or models of how we should be and seeing uh, an icon of Mary, you know, Mary was, is, is a good example because she, um, she gave up quite a bit and, and had a huge sacrifice um, to be the mother of God and to live her life in that way and all that. And, and so when we look at the example that she sets forth for us, it's very, um, it's a very good reminder just on, on how we should live. And, and same thing with all the saints, right? Like they're all just models of how we should be living. And, you know, even though there's, and, and I think that too, to, to even go f- even further into that, um, you know, for, for people that are just now getting into Christianity or just now looking into the faith or, or maybe are even not doing it yet, but, but there's that little kind of itch that makes them want to do it. Um, there were plenty of saints that were martyred that were, you know, not doing good things in their life, right? Like there's, there's saints that, uh, were sainted because they were martyred and they were literally like drug addicts and stuff. So there's, there's yeah. one, uh, uh, martyr I know of uh, whose name escapes me um, who was martyred during the uh, the Spanish Civil War he was a drunk and so he was uh, um, wandering the streets I think late one night after you know getting absolutely hammered in some some pub downtown and he was trying to find the source of who was playing Creed yeah <laughs> Yeah, the the, uh, the communists came up with a uh, a statue, uh, either a statue or an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and like smashed it in the ground and told him um, to come and, and like stomp on it, you know, and and disgrace it and dishonor her. Uh, he said, "No, I, I love my mother." And so then they killed him right then and there. And it was seen. Someone else saw what happened. And so, you know, it's this this the sense that this man. Uh, despite you know how simple he was, was still given the, the the crown of martyrdom, because he just said, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna 
apostatize because a bunch of thugs told me to and threatened me with death. What? Do, yeah, like what, it's kind of the the Christian thing too. You know, it's like, what are you gonna do? Kill me? You know? like, what, what, what? Oh, no, That's what I wanted the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, thank um, you. Yeah, thanks be to God. I don't have to wait longer. This is great. No more sin. Sounds good to me. But um, you know, it's uh, there's there's great beauty in in these holy. In, I mean in these holy examples, but there's also great beauty in the simple examples of refusing to um, reject the faith. And, you know, in in Revelation, our Lord speaks to, to you know, to the, the churches of Asia, um, specifically um, to the church in um, Laodicea, he says, you know, to the lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, basically, kind of the depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, kind of line, which is, I think, the most terrifying concept in all uh, <laughs> scripture, because it's the fact that if you just kind of coast through life, kind of being Christian-ish, you know, then the Lord, our, our blessed Lord will literally just, you know, at your particular judgment say, like, I don't know you, I don't know who you are, and cast you into the outer dark, you know. Um, Where there's wailing and moaning and gnashing of teeth. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that's. That, I think that's one of the most dangerous things about um, what we see with Protestantism today, especially like dispensationalism and all these other kind of like once saved, always saved kind of um, uh, dung heaps. You know, they um, <laughs> they uh, they they push this idea that like, well, you know, you did this, therefore you're already saved, and so we don't need holy examples in our lives. We don't need the examples of the saints. I don't need to worry about that because we're already saved. That's incredibly dangerous because if someone lives their life according to this notion that I'm already saved, do you really think they're actually going to be striving for holiness? Do you really think they're actually going to try and, and be, be better and love the Lord perfectly? No, absolutely not. That's not conducive to the flourishing of a, of a rightly ordered uh, life, you know, and, or in a holy life at all. So, you have kind of like the sense that a lot of people who adopt this idea of I'm already saved will live a lukewarm life at the at best or live a horribly sinful life at worst. And I know there's a whole lot of sticks that's done like, well, uh, that guy who, you know, he was saved, but well, he said he was saved, but he wasn't really serious about his testimony or, you know, his his turning to Christ. So he wasn't actually saved to begin with. That's it doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. But um, well, so something else too with you know your your story of uh, of that guy during the Spanish Civil War who just simply did uh, you know very basic standing up for what he believed in and had something to back it. Um, you know he's he obviously was was martyred and sainted and, and all that stuff. But um, you know it goes it goes back toward the whole like trucking side of things is that. Um, Who's like fiddling? Who's gnawing? Is you gnawing on something? That, I'm hearing it. Are you, are you gnawing on your phone speaker? I'm not. Okay. Anyway, um, there. Uh, no, but there, there's a guy that I, I, I'm buddies with. Hold on. This is driving me insane. Marauder, can you mute yourself real quick? Yeah. Hey, there it goes. Uh, um, it's weird. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there's there's a guy that I'm buddies with, and and he was doing something um, for you know 
with the the whole training realm and stuff and and there was a class that was uh put on with a company that he associates with and um and it was by the john brown gun club guys which are all you know very like socialist rifle association kind of dudes and um he was saying that one thing that that really stood out to him was that they don't have anything truly that they believe in and you know they may have these political ideologies and these things that are only temporary and it's obviously you're you're swayed toward that for for a reason um and you're you're looking for what whatever the best option is and 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 all that and and it seems like the people that don't have anything to strive for or don't have anything to back them and say you know what this is something that you need to continue to work toward and work toward and these are your goals to meet and all that stuff um as soon as times get kind of tough they're gonna abandon it and if your sole reason to stand up for you know your sole belief that you're standing up for has to do with with like an arbitrary idea like freedom um it's not gonna last very long and And especially right now it's it it, what's that yeah i was just saying freedom to do what but go ahead yeah yeah that too um but it's 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 very interesting that right now a lot of a lot of people are making very bold claims and things are really good and where you don't need to worry about food and, and all that stuff and and you don't need to worry about um you know if, if people are going to come to your house one day looking to take all of your all of your goods and stuff or, or harm your family or whatever and um you know a lot of people will will kind of theory craft and say like oh you know this is why i think that it's important to prepare and get a group and, and train and do all this stuff because of these things that are very surface level um so i think that that's kind of another real reason why it's important to have faith as your foundation for all things. And, you know, when you, when you start digging into it, like, obviously, yeah, there's, there's lukewarm Christians and, and, uh, and even going further, there's lukewarm Catholics and Orthodox and all that stuff that, that at this point, they're just going through the motions. Um, and those people are going to be the ones that as soon as there's some sort of controversy or as soon as there's some sort of, um, attack on the church, they're going to jump ship, and it's because they don't have that that full grip onto it, right? They're they're just barely hanging on, and so once you have the the, the full the full grip around it, um, you know a lot of a lot of things may happen, but you're going to continue to hang on. Hey, yeah, uh, did did it go away? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. Uh, so. Um, I was thinking that uh, the church gives That's us. That's dangerous. I know the church. <laughs> I do a lot of my thinking in the shower, but uh, all so, the pondering and the steam. That's right. Uh, so the church gives us a wonderful definition of faith. That uh, it's not um, the definition of faith that the church gives us is not super prominent among uh, the rest of Christianity, which is, you know. I say that, but like the Catholics make up like, I don't know, uh, like 1.5 billion people on earth. So to say that they, they're not, it's not like actually a lot of Christians, I guess here it's in America. It's like, uh, less, less prominent here in America. But so, yeah. The, the, the definition of faith that the church gives us is the ascent of the will. 
So the ascent to the will to God. But I mean, if you have faith in a false idol, then it's the ascent to the will to the false idol. So um, with our Protestant brothers, it's usually faith is thought of more of like a, a state of mind sort of deal where like, for example, Presbyterians with their irresistible grace, they believe that God affects you with grace and causes you to have faith. And it's, there's no, no say of yours in the matter. Right. So that's, um, that's part of their predestination thought. Um, they define predestination as fate, like F A T E, like, um, as opposed to predestination being setting a destination for yourself, whether you get to that destination or not, or God setting a destination for you, whether you get there or not, they view predestination more in the, the term of the modern fate. So you're fated to do something and that's, that's going to happen no matter what. Um, and so that's, there's a large segment of faith, uh, wrapped up in that, in the Protestant mind. Um, and even Protestants that don't view, um, that don't believe in, in Calvinism and Presbyterianism, they still have this view that faith and belief are basically the same thing. That uh, to have faith in God is basically just to believe in Him. Um, the church has given us the blessing of the definition uh, of faith that uh, faith is more than just belief. It's believing and also assenting your will to God. It's choosing to bend your knee to God. And so faith in and of itself is an act that has to be carried out each and every day or every moment of your life. Um, and so whenever you were talking about the foundation of faith in your life, um, it's it literally has to be to, to make itself up into a, a literal foundation of your life where you're having to choose it each and every day, um, lest we become like the man. Uh, you know, that appears at the wedding feast without the proper garments and Christ says, I know you're not. Um, this is why many, um, it really makes up a course, a, a core piece of our being. Um, there's many atheists out there that you can give them all the, all the arguments for the existence of God that, uh, that you could totally debunk atheism basically is what I'm saying. And they will still tell you, I just can't, have faith. I just can't come to believe this, right? Um, they faith, have eyes, cannot see, ears, but cannot hear. That's right. Faith boils down to this choice, uh, an ascent of the will, who we bow our knees to, and that end up ends up making itself the cornerstone of our lives. It will found uh, be the foundation of all of our choices. Be the why behind all of the what's. Um, so yeah, I think you, whenever you mention the foundation of faith, I think that looking at it from the apostolic lens of, of what faith really is, it's more than just believing in God. Even the demons know of God and tremble, right? That's, uh, who was that? James. That was, uh, the James, the patriarch of Jerusalem. So, uh, in the James, the letter of James. So even, even demons know of God and tremble, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, by, by, by the definition of, of faith being simply believe, you would say that all the demons have faith and that's right. And whatnot in God, because they obviously believe in him. 
and the, the thing is too i mean it's faith obviously is um the way we define it um of, as the church is obviously very similar to how we define love in the sense that it's a, a an act of the will it's not something it's not just a quality of of man or of the person uh, it's not something you kind of fall into and fall out of you know we use the term affectionately you know like falling in love it's not a real thing it's you learn to love properly and you hopefully learn to love better and more perfectly every day i mean that's one of my prayers every day as lord help me learn to to love more perfectly um and, and, and we that's... use and we use the faith as as in, in our language in a way that you know, previously as a Protestant, I, I didn't use that faith to mean it like that. Like, for example, if I were to say, I expect my wife to be faithful, you know, we, 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 we already know innately that she believes in this is, is an act of the will. It's not just a state of mind or a belief or a quality within us that's generated by, uh, merely generated by the grace of God. It is, it is entirely generated by the grace of God with all the strings attached, right? So, sorry, Isaac, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean well, to cut you, you off there, but... That's, that's all right, I mean, uh, I kind of, I think the best way, a, a word that is good to describe faith as we understand it is fidelity. Um, obviously, we talk about fidelity all the time, having fidelity for God, um, and it falls hand in hand with love. Fidelity is an act of the will. Um, it's, uh, and it's the choice to love one, um, you know, love another properly and honor them properly and actually give yourself to them. And so with faith, you know, you're, you're having, when you have faith in God, you promise to be faithful to him, you know, because you trust that he is the one who, who holds your life in his hands. And, uh, because of that, you choose then to, to, you know, have fidelity um, and possess that and seek that, that grace of uh, actually being faithful to the Lord. And actually, it's funny, um, I was talking to my wife about this the other, other day when we were driving. Um, you know, we, we have the word infidel, which very obviously, you just etymologically speaking, means someone who is, uh, you know, through their acts, um, possesses infidelity. You know, they are, it is the, I guess, the noun of infidelity, you know, or uh, the possessive form of infidelity. Um, so by the same concept, um, someone who um, possesses, or I guess, uh, has fidelity would be a Fidel, um, which is also kind of funny because you have like Fidel Castro, who's the exact opposite, uh, does not possess fidelity for our Lord or for any, uh, you know, moral and upright society. But either way, that's just kind of word um, nonsense. But really it does come down to the fact that uh you know love obviously willing the good of another um willing what is best for another as as aquinas would define it is a very important thing you ought to be able to uh will what is best for someone else and ultimately when we look at the hierarchy it's something we talked about in my group chat the other day but kind of the hierarchy of of things that you need to care for your preferential care and where it ought to to go first and and where it descends from or descends to Obviously, starting off with God and your spouse, your children, um, your extended family, friends, things like that. That's kind of a clarification we made. Then, you know, going on to kind of your parish, um, close community, church community, um, larger local, localized stuff like state or city, and then nation, 
and within nation is conf- um, included also your your culture and uh, people who possess your same values and and beliefs and often will share you know some level of racial homogeneity with you which is a very that's a very good thing that's very important um, and it's important that we understand that that is kind of the hierarchy of, of love um, where do we we would will what is best for our wife before we will what is best for our for our nation or for our community um, as a whole in the same sense uh, if you're children you know you're you're spending time with your wife um and then one of your children comes up and tries to you know interrupt it's like hey dad 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 come come look at this like you know you would hopefully you know gracefully be able to to tell them like no i'm not right now i'm talking to your mother you know because you have you owe a certain level of, of honor and fidelity to to your wife um in that instance before you owe it to your child and then it would kind of it goes on from there the same degree you need to be focusing on um, on God as the source of all love, um, and the source and summit of your, if your very life, uh, before you, you know, if, if you are to have a successful marriage or anything like that, you know, before you focus on the other person in the marriage or you focus on yourself, you need to be focusing on God. And again, again, we just circled back. We're going to circle back again, you know, having that foundation. What is, uh, is that foundation actually found in a certain level of fidelity towards God and towards something greater than yourself? Or is it just uh, an idolatry, uh, a self-idolatry in, this, in a sense? Like if you idolize this idea of freedom, <laughs> the question always comes up. I always ask it whenever anyone speaks about arbitrary, some arbitrary sense of freedom. Like freedom to do what? What do you want to do? What is your purpose? What, I, just, what is your I goal? just want to be left alone. I just want to be left alone. Left alone to do what? You know, and that's always it, it's always some silly um, non-answer that comes out of that too. Like, I just want to do what I want. You know, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. It's like, well, I mean, anyone. You start to break it down. Anyone will recognize that there are times and places where you ought to be told what to do, and there are times and places where the same people who talk about wanting to be left alone and not told what to do and not controlled, whatever, happily and and you know, very joyfully. Uh, uh, assent to the the law of the land in a sense where they go like yeah I'm not going to murder people I'm not going to steal I think that's wrong I don't want people to do that to me and therefore I'm not going to do it to other people so they recognize that there is an intrinsic moral law and that you need to be told that at times people need to be reminded of that and there need to be um, rules and laws and controls set in place to to build a rightly ordered society but of course you know you I mean I um, being exceedingly conservative and, uh, and uh, a traditionalist, you know, would say, I want all pornographers to be either thrown in prison or shot. And um, because I think that's the most uh, loving thing you can do for a society. Um, but however, that probably wouldn't really fly in today's world. So I'll just say that, you know, these people that uh, we need to have like decency laws and anti-blasphemy laws and things like that you know you can't live in a society a, a properly ordered or, or moral society if you're allowing people to live actively live immoral lives and push those lives onto other people as well so isaac something i've found is uh is uh you said you said that these people who are often toting the freedom card uh are perfectly happy to be told what to do i found it also is the case that many of them are very willing to tell others what to do. 
Yeah. Right. The, the, many of them are of the mindset of, uh, um, unto thee, but not for me or unto thee, but not to me freedom for me, but not for thee. So, um, you know, especially in the militant side, we see that a lot guys who say, I just want to, I just want to be left alone. Don't tread on me are often, um, the people that do tread on others. And it's not the treading that many of us would, uh, respect. Right. So, um, yeah. uh, often, those who would resist a moral form of authority are those that would uh, they themselves have a form of immoral corruption and probably would impose it on others um, it, it, at the very least they would probably impose it in the form of a, an apathetic uh, tolerance for uh, whatever right so, right. so uh, uh, basically, basically are you guys are you getting, getting like, like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a little interference. But are we still recording? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 Continue. Can you hear it now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you guys, uh, you go, guys ahead go ahead and I'll hear you. With Verizon, I used to ask, uh, "Can you hear me now?" But yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah um, no, it's just. Uh, yeah, there. I guess there is obviously the sense that um, certain people, certain often these people that talk about freedom all, all the time, they will they will happily go be marauders and. Uh, uh, sorry to appropriate your name, but you know, um, <laughs> uh, you know, bandits and everything. They're kind of the the like the cowboys from Tombstone. You know, they're um, it's Johnny Ringo and his gang. You know, they're bad people. They go around shooting priests and uh, newlyweds and everything. Um, these are the kind of people that it's it's kind of funny because in the the not the nicely well not really ordered properly ordered but at least somewhat militant police state that we live in um, we kind of are protected from these uh, these bandits all the time and these comically evil bad guys but they're totally like they're they're on the internet you know in their group chats talking all the time about all this stuff now are all of them serious about um, acting like this and doing these things probably not uh but there's the reality that a lot of people have no moral qualms with uh um a lot of these same freedom so-called freedom-minded people have no moral qualms with uh with going and trampling upon the lives and the the liberties of other people um but on top of that uh there's just the fact that like i like i i obviously i don't believe in some absolutist idea of freedom. I don't believe that most people should have guns. You know, uh, I would love to live in a society where I didn't have to, you know, arm myself. That would be nice. That'd be proper. Um, but that's not the world that we live in. You know, there's a bunch of crazed uh, degenerates running around the streets, you know, carrying guns ready to, to blast you, you know. So, um, you we live in a, a world that is not necessarily conducive to um, an unarmed society. So that means that we need to then arm ourselves and support this idea of arming yourself to protect ourselves from the other people that are allowed to be armed. It's kind of a really weird paradoxical situation. Um, But, yeah. 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 What I was going to go into earlier. Never mind. I can hear it again. I can hear it again. 
Can you hear it, Tyler? You wanna... Can you hear it, Tyler? Yep, yep. Or what, Echo? Hear an Echo? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's going right. on. I don't know what's going on. Andrew, you look like you want to say something. Is it that bad? All right. All right. Oh, oh. Yes. Yeah, it yeah, it was Isaac. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, you, it's Isaac. you, Isaac. Is it still going? Yeah. 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 There, it there it is. Nope. Nope. Hey, you can hey, mute you yourself, Isaac. Isaac. There we go. Perfect. Ha! I've been, ha, I've been vindicated. What if I no, leave? No, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> what if I? What if I leave and come back? Would that work? Maybe. I don't know. We're about to wrap up anyway. Okay, someone else talk. Okay, well, the one thing I wanted to chip in there, um, Isaac, is, uh, you know, G.K. Chesterton, I forget in which book, but he's got this one illustration of uh, a lamppost, um, and he draws this picture of all these people ganging up to like, tear down this lamppost, and everyone agrees, oh, we got to take this thing down. Like, we're going to just tear, the, tear it down. They, they tear it down, and only once they tear it down do they begin talking, and they realize that you know, some of the people wanted to tear it down because it was it was too bright and they wanted to commit crimes, you know, and some people wanted to tear it down because it was too dim and they wanted to put in a bigger light post and other people, you know, everyone's got different ideas about why they wanted to remove this light post. But then once you've taken it down, now you have to have the same argument in the dark that you had when you had this light post that was already up. Um, and it just it reminds me what you were saying about these kind of libertarian minded folks and uh, other sorts of people who share the same short term visions with you of, uh, oh, Second Amendment, um, you know, protection of certain political freedoms. Uh, and it's just important to keep in mind that without that long term alignment, you might just be hurting yourself by pursuing this short term ideal with people who are um, maybe uh, temporary allies in the short term with the short-term goal, you know? Yeah. And I think that we saw that too. And, uh, when there were like all the riots and in 2020, where you'd have people that were on the, the libertarian side of things, um, working along with a lot of the yeah, protesters perfect. who then just turned around and acted against them. So it's like, you're, you're, you, you trying to find solidarity with people that aren't going to like you on, of, more you know like on a deeper level than you like so you have a very surface level reason why you are associating with these people which in this case we could say okay general freedom or second amendment or the constitution or whatever but the people that you are trying to collaborate with don't like you for a deeper reason than you like them that makes sense right so you know the the people that have a deeper reason for uh, or deeper motivation for their actions are going to they're going to win. And, and, and we can look at the same reason why on an even larger scale, um, you know, with the whole, the whole war in, uh, in Afghanistan, the whole jihad and stuff was that, you know, you have um, the, the Taliban, the Mujahideen, whatever that were fully uh, justified in their own minds because they saw it as a holy war and they saw it as these foreign secular invaders are coming to my land and they want to, get rid of what I believe and they didn't necessarily win tactically Um, you know you look at the death toll of of all that and in any sort of you know real engagement they just got completely smoked but in the end of it you know we had a 
the the worst uh, pullout out of Afghanistan versus any you know conflict damn near, and now they still have control of their country. So they're, and this isn't to say that Islam is right and that's why they won or anything like that, but it's just it's just the, the whole line of thinking where you know the, the people that were going over to Afghanistan, um, I'm sure that they lost sight of why they were there. And in the beginning, it was a lot of, you know, okay, we were attacked and uh, the whole thing with Al Qaeda and Osama bin Laden and stuff. But even even up to the point where he was, uh, you know, killed or whatever, um, in what 2009, we were still there up until 2021, 2022. So for that entire length of time, there was a fight that was not necessarily um, justified on our end in the minds of the guys that were actually doing the fighting. If that makes sense. So, you know, that's, that's a good example too. And, and when you look in any sort of real conflict, it wasn't the people that just sort of didn't believe in anything that ended up winning. It was the people that had a very deep motivation for what they were doing and, and why they were doing it. And, and all the ones that didn't have a deep motivation for, for staying there and fighting and all that stuff just fled. And now they're, they're, you know, migrants in another country because they didn't have that sort of deep will to, to fight for what they believed in. Um, so I think that that's, that's a really good example. And that's something that should kind of, uh, stay in a lot of the, the back of a lot of people's heads where if you don't have that deep seated motivation, um, and you are in, you know, the, the prepper crowd, uh, there, we really got to come up with a better name for that too. But, uh, you know, the, the whole crowd of people that are prepared and trying to, to get ready and, and have their, their groups and everything in case something goes bad if they don't have that sort of deep foundational reason to stay where they're at and fight and, and you know do all that stuff they're just gonna end up becoming migrants and moving somewhere else and it's it's all gonna be wasted time and, and money and effort and you know i think that a lot of people too need to to remember that the reason why a lot of us got into this originally is because well it's fun right like like you know, this last uh, Saturday, I went to the range with some friends and, and this Saturday, I'm probably going to go to the range with some friends and shoot and, and have fun and all that. But, um, you know, it's it's really important not to lose sight of, of why you're doing all that. Any any of the uh, the Echo Boys have anything to add? Please, God. Oh, it's working. Can you hear me? Yeah. Am I still echoing? Oh, thank God. No. I don't know what that changed. Okay. Well, um, I guess I could pick up where I was leaving off with, with Isaac's thing. Uh, so I, I was going to say, like, I found that, you know, uh, I don't know. I guess uh, only Pine probably really remembers this, but, like, I was big on the libertarian side originally. Yep. And, yep. Uh, you, were, you, you were always, to me, the, the very Protestant libertarian guy that would... Uh, that was on Instagram. Yeah. And so, uh, so I like thinking, thinking back to it, there's a, there is a definite tyranny of apathy there. Um, where basically like you are not allowed to do there's with the, with the mindset of just leave me alone. If everybody has that mindset, it's like incapable of making a functioning society. And so you're basically forced whenever you're abiding by that philosophy you're you're basically forcing people if you're forcing like this view of freedom and then like your view of freedom is like 
this so decentralized and so deconstructed to the point where basically you can't form any coherent structure that actually upholds any moral values you're forcing everybody to basically live on their own island and be uh, potentially like just victimized constantly by pirates so uh, if that makes any sense like a, a, a tyranny of apathy I would say like you you are we will force you not to do anything you are you are not allowed to um, like if you know if if uh, if you want to live in a society that upholds a like a moral code you are not allowed to do that um, like it, it, it even whenever you come to like the voluntary societies that libertarians want to make it's very peculiar on what like on uh, what it can even produce at all like whether it can be arguably produced at all um, and that's like that's their end goal that's their utopia is like a totally voluntary society but basically what they mean by that is like it, it can it can only you can only act in reaction you can only um, like you can only defend yourself if you've if you've already been stabbed uh, you can only um, you know you, you can only you can only say like defend your child if they've already been raped does that make yeah. sense like that, that, that's the that's the tyranny of apathy so uh, Anyway, so that's going with that's going off of Isaac's view. Uh, Isaac's what he was talking about earlier with freedom. Like it's it's like it's very easy to go full on authoritarian whenever you're thinking about um, like whether it's like freedom or authority. Like it's it's a false dichotomy, really. Um, there, it's entirely possible to have like a a, a very um, Christian Catholic society, preferably that that is able to uphold the church's view of um subsidiarity right so so the view of subsidiarity is that every level is basically responsible for its own and it's uh it's it's responsible for that which is below it um but not to the point where it can actively be like infringing on the that uh sovereignty that each level holds so basically like for example your bishop is responsible for say like uh governing everything below him Right. And so, uh, but it, it would be wrong of him to infringe on like each individual priest's authority over each of their parishes. Um, he can, like he holds that authority, but it'd be wrong for him. It'd be unfitting for him to do so. It, it's, it's right for each father to have control of his household, to, to govern his household. Um, can a uh, the government of a small community come in and like uh, you know does it have technically the authority to come in and start controlling the man's household? Yes, but should it? No, it's like uh, it, it's not necessarily fitting for that to be there. So, with uh, in my view, like this Catholic social teaching of subsidiarity, you get a great view of like uh, freedom to do what you ought to do. To, to do what you ought to do uh, I don't know I don't really know if freedom really has anything to do with it there's just the ability to do what you ought to do and this this false virtue of freedom I guess that we've assigned to that definition is there and then but you also have the moral culpability to make sure that level uh, of sovereignty gets executed or else you're basically um, liable to the higher authority above you 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Andrew or Isaac, either you guys got anything to add to that? I don't. I'm probably ready to pack it in. It's past my bedtime. Yeah, or so my wife says. <laughs> but yeah, well, no, I, it, was, it was good. I appreciate you guys joining um, and all that. Some some good. Hopefully, it's it's you know at least one person got uh, got something out of this as far as like a thought provoking reasoning for for what they're doing and all that. So if if, uh, if one person got something out of it, then then this last two hours of us uh, dealing with audio issues has been worth it. <laughs> it's been fun. I love audio issues. <laughs> yeah but either way uh, yeah, everyone uh, pray for us and we'll pray for you definitely <laughs>